Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips Herb, Tax Girl. I'm a tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers and tax practitioners like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. Earlier this year, I was excited to announce our first Bloomberg Tax and Accounting Insights and Commentary student writing competition. The contest highlights the very best of student writing. Our process began in April when we posted our call for submissions. After that, a panel of judges from the Bloomberg Tax and Accounting team reviewed the entries and scored them on points from organization to voice and style. Our winners from schools around the globe represent the best new talent in the tax profession. Today, we're talking with some of those students. First up, Elliot Bramham, who is a student at the University of East Anglia. Thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Kelly. After listening to so many Tax Bill podcast episodes, it's a pleasure to finally be able to speak with you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm kind of interested. First of all, I have to ask, did I say your name right? Because I fear that I didn't, because I definitely did it with a Southern United States twang. How do you pronounce your last name? Bramham. You did like it Birmingham. Well. See, I yeah. should have I should have made the H softer. So, well, thank you again for being here. So my first question today is, since you are one of the winners of the Bloomberg Tax Competition, why did you enter? Because I know that I've been a student before and you're busy and there's lots going on. So what about it was interesting to you? I have been a long time listener of the Tax Girl podcast. And when I saw the opportunity to write on the subject that I truly connect with having an American father, I am aware of the issues affecting U.S. citizens abroad. And um, I truly empathize with this constant anxiety of wanting to be compliant and doing the right thing. So having the opportunity to delve deeper into this subject was a perfect thing to do. Awesome. And I will say that the whole issue of citizen-based taxation, as you are probably aware, since you wrote the, the piece on it, is really controversial in the U.S. It's something that my clients actually have grappled with for a really long time as well. Because as you hinted at, compliance can be a real stress point for folks because the rules are complicated. And especially on the U.S. side, they're different from most other places in the world. Exactly. You always have to be cognizant of the taxes, the the rules in your country of residence, as well as the U.S. tax implications. And the FBARs, for example, which you did reference in your piece, that's also something in the U.S. That's pretty controversial. I think one of the reasons in the U.S. that it is problematic is because the threshold is so small. It's $10,000. And I know if you uh, you mentioned that you're a longtime listener, you may know that I've talked about before that when I, so I studied in the U.K. when I was in college. And the way that the banking system works now is a lot different than the way that it used to be. It used to be that you couldn't just take a card to the ATM. It's a little more complicated than that. So I remember getting my student loan check in the US and then having to deposit that money into a bank account in the UK so that I could pay my expenses and and remember it and, and all of that good stuff. But they did it in one lump sum, which is what they do in the US, but usually your your college will take it out. But because this was an exchange program, it didn't work that way. So I actually had to deposit it and then take part of it out. And I remember going and getting paper checks 
from Lloyd's of London, which was very fancy for me. Uh, I was very excited. But the thing was, so at that time, I never thought about it. For years, I go back to the U.S. and then I learn about F-bars and I realize that I, I should have probably filed an F-bar at the time, but didn't know or understand because, again, I don't know exactly how much money it was, but it's probably close to that $10,000 threshold. And I've had similar students have asked me similar questions for that one moment, because that's what's so weird about the FBAR requirements is that they can apply to a student, for example. Like it's supposed to be going after the uber rich, but that's not what happens. Well, nowadays with the reporting requirements imposed on, on financial institutions, since the implementation of FATCA as a non-income producing student, and especially knowing that many institutions refuse or even close the accounts of American expats, with some capital in their bank accounts, I would be surprised if you would be able to easily open an account today as you did when you were studying. And we have had clients that have had difficulties. And I know that, as you mentioned, some of those financial institutions were very quick to insist that U.S. people either produce a lot of information, which you don't necessarily have as a student, or make some kinds of to say that you, you know, you're going to be compliant and that kind of stuff, which I think is a bold statement for a student to make. So yeah, I can see how that would be problematic. So as you were going through your studies, I suspect that, you know, not all things tax are your favorites, but do you have an area of tax that you find the most interesting? To buy the, the exchange between the US and, and foreign countries, especially the bilateral treaties, is something that I find fascinating. The fact that they were established two decades ago makes it a bit difficult with the introduction of new financial products in many jurisdictions. But having studied comparative law in France, I, I really enjoy studying the interaction between countries and the, the complexity of it all. And I think it's going to get more complicated. Have you been following the OECD at all? Or is the, are you too busy yes. in school to follow? Okay. So what do you think? Do you think that we might reach an agreement or do you think it's too early to tell? Honestly, I think it's too early to tell because these things change all the time. Mm -hmm. What I saw that was most interesting, I mean, not very recently, but uh, the implementation of the common reporting standard, uh, the fact that the OECD just mirrors what FATCA did. And it's the, the best example of mimicking FATCAS. It's all about the, the exchange of information of financial accounts all over the world. And funnily enough, the U.S. is actually not a part of the CSR. I have a question then when you mentioned OECD and interplay between U.S. and the other countries. One of the things when I talked to the folks at Baker about transfer pricing is they were talking about some of the kind of real-time reporting that goes on in Europe. And we don't have that in the U.S. Obviously, this is a really, it's a speculative question, but do you think that if we had real-time reporting in the U.S., that that would facilitate some of these tax transactions between Europe and the U.S., or do you think that um, it wouldn't make a real difference? Well, considering the amount of pressure and the amount of work that the RRS already has to deal with, I mean, with the administration, the financial institutions having to report and the, the taxpayers having to file and comply, these would actually complexify the entire system and give even more work to the IRS. It's also a delegation of this work to the compliance industry, which I find a bit, uh, a bit funny, really. 
Well, and we don't want to give the IRS more work. Trust me, we've been uh, talking all week about how they're still, you know, backed up from last year's tax year. So yeah, no more, no more work for them. So what do you want to do, do you think, when you get out of school? Do you have uh, like a long-term plan? Do you want to work in a firm? Do you want to do academics? What do you think you want to do? Obviously, understanding that, you know, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you think you want to do? Well, definitely work in financial planning. Having seen the difficulties of financial planning, bad financial planning, and especially the interaction with the, the IRS, the implication that it has, it's an area that really fascinates me. And I'm sure that having a multicultural background, I can help people in this situation, whether they be in the UK, in France, or the US. And I know that having gone to school for tax and law, that... um it can be a lot to study economics and finance all of the time. Do you do anything outside of that for fun or does school take up all of your time? Well, I do listen to many podcasts, uh, read a lot, mm-hmm. nonfiction, usually books from 200 years ago. I, I do have various interests. Good, because nobody should do too much tax. So what's next, do you think? I know school should be, I guess, coming to an end soon. Um, so what's next on your agenda? What do you hope to do next? Uh, that's a bit of a tricky question. I'm interviewing with uh, firms at the moment, so I absolutely don't know. Oh, well, I mean, that's fair. I don't know that any of us really know in this economy anyway, but um, but it's a good time to be looking. So I wish you a lot of luck and thank you so much for being on the program and for entering the contest. Uh, and I will put the link to your winning entry in the show notes so that people can read it and find out what we've been talking about during the program today. If you wanted to be found and people wanted to find you either on social media or on the web, where would you send them? I can easily be found on LinkedIn and I'm happy to connect with anyone. Awesome. And I will be sure to put the link to your LinkedIn account in the show notes. Thank you again so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Next up is a chat with another of our winners, Travis Nix. Travis Nix is a student of tax law at Georgetown Law. His tax commentary has been featured in Tax Notes, Fox News, National Review, and the Chicago Tribune, among other publications. Thank you so much for being here today, Travis. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So first up, What inspired you to enter the competition? What really inspired me is Bloomberg Tax is a renowned tax publication. It's one of the best in the business and one of the few that I haven't been featured on. So Mm -hmm. I really just wanted to come up with a good idea, good article to hopefully be uh, featured by the great website that is uh, Bloomberg Tax. Well, thank you. We actually very much appreciate the, the promo there. And so your piece, actually, I can tell you because I talked with the judges, I know that your piece was really well received. And it was also something that a lot of folks are talking about right now because it was gig economy. Did you choose that because of personal relationship to gig or just because you knew it was a hot topic or what kind of was the reason for choosing this particular topic? Yeah, the reason I picked it is because the changes that the American Rescue uh, Plan made to how gig economy workers are taxed wasn't really talked about by a lot of tax policy commentators. They were a lot more focused on, you know, all these proposed international changes, you know, the idea of, you know, an international minimum tax, 
and those sorts of things. And I feel like this big domestic change to how our domestic workers, gig workers and independent contractors are taxed just wasn't really talked about. So I thought it was a great opportunity to um, sort of highlight these changes and evaluate whether or not they were good or bad as a whole. And I, I think you're right. I think one of the reasons for that is that gig economy still, and I think it's even the name, right? Gig economy than what we call it. I think we understate how big it is in the U.S. Um, I had someone on the program recently when we talked about some of the tax challenges that currently exist. And one of the things we were doing is talking about stats. And back in the day, we would think about a gig as being like a side gig, right? Like you might go out and work some retail on the weekend. But people are actually using what we're calling gig economy as their main source of income. A lot of folks, whether they are delivery drivers or whether their gig is TikTok, or I think that the idea of gig economy is expanding and it's a lot bigger than a lot of folks in Congress maybe recognize. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just an emerging field that's just getting bigger and bigger. And the pandemic definitely accelerated it because... So many people lost their jobs, sadly, during the pandemic. And so they're turning to these different platforms and becoming gig workers as a way to supplement some of their lost income. So even in the context of the pandemic, it just accelerated it even more. And it's just going to become a more important part of the U.S. economy as time goes on. Right. And one of the things you mentioned in your article, I think, totally ties into that, which is that some of the gig workers aren't understanding or don't have an understanding of putting aside reporting requirements for a minute, what they can deduct and what's available to them. And so what do you think are some of the, and maybe this is a question that nobody knows the answer to yet, right? But what do you think are some of the ways that we could look at how to encourage gig workers to better prepare their taxes. I know IRS is adding some information on their website about it, and they're trying to do some outreach campaigns. But do you have any thoughts about the best way to not only increase compliance, which I know you addressed in your piece, but also make it easier for the taxpayers? Some of the policy changes or changes that I discuss in my piece, such as maybe a standard business deduction, I think that would go a long way. If we're not going to change the tax code to address it, I think we need something like a, you know, EITC campaign that goes on for gig economy workers to, you know, highlight some of the deductions that uh, that they can take. You know, these campaigns, I think, have been very successful for the earned income tax credit in sending out all these, you know, information to people, to workers who might be able to claim the EITC, making sure that they, that they know that they can claim it. I think that's gone a long way in making sure that more workers I can take the EITC. I think mm-hmm. something like that for the gig for gig workers to inform them about the deductions that they could take would also go a long way. So if we're not going to change the tax code, I think that's something that organizations should definitely look at doing. I agree. <laughs> yeah. And that's something Uber does. After one of my articles, one of their tax people contacted me and they actually sent to their workers a form, they said, that lists some of like the deductions that they can take. So I think more companies should do that. I think that's great that Uber's doing that. And I have a question related back to when you were talking about this uh, standard business deduction, which I agree feels like a good solution. But of course, with most things taxed, there's a lot of uh, nuance to be worked out, right? 
So would you suggest that that would be available to all gig workers? And again, I'm not asking you to write policy on the podcast, although hopefully Congress is listening and maybe taking some hints. But do you think it should be available to all gig workers on a per gig basis, a per taxpayer basis? Is there like an hour threshold? Are you thinking pro rata? Like how did, and I know that there was a proposal that you referenced already in your piece, but what do you think would be the best solution for the reality that not all gig workers are equal? Yeah, I think you would have to do some type of like minimum income requirements, mm-hmm. obviously, or else you would just have someone do one Uber trip. You know, they make like five bucks and they try and play, you know, a $600 business tax deduction, essentially, or whatever Congress would put a business standard deduction on. So you have to do some, you have to do a minimum business income requirement at the right. very minimum. And since I'm getting the the sense that you enjoy at least some of corporate tax, is that your favorite part of tax or what area do you find most interesting in tax? Yeah, it's definitely the corporate, uh, the corporate tax code is my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so much more interesting than the individual income tax code. And I think that changes to the corporate tax code, that's really the part of the tax code that policymakers can change that would stimulate investment and provide all Americans with a higher quality of living in the form of higher wages and stuff like that. So really, when you're talking about growing the economy, using the tax code that, you know, stimulate the economy, that's all done on the corporate income tax code, tax or whatever you want to do with tax through businesses, tax on the individual tax code. But that's usually not done by um, wages on the individual tax side. Right. And understanding that whatever you decide to do in law school will probably evolve because like myself, most tax attorneys, there's a moment when you decide maybe you're going to gonna look at something else. What part do you find most interesting now? Do you like the policy? Because it sounds like you do enjoy some of the policy. Are you looking at policy? Are you looking at planning? Are you looking at compliance? Like, Do you have a sense of where you want to land? Yeah, I think I want to do tax transactional work because I think it's really fun to be able to look at how different businesses are organized and see, and see, okay, what's the best way we can arrange this deal for tax purposes? So yeah, next summer I'll be summering with Skadden in New York and I'm very much looking forward to getting a little bit more experience on the tax transactional side and tax M&A work. And what do you do outside of uh, law school? Obviously, I know that law school takes up a lot of time. And and when you're summering in New York next year, I suspect it'll be a lot of hours. Do What do you do for fun when you're not doing tax law stuff? Oh, I love sports. So I just cheer on my beloved Chicago Cubs or Villanova Wildcats before I went from undergrad. So, you know, I love walking sports, playing sports. So I can't support the Cubs, but I will support the Wildcats. So uh, just down down the street from us. So go Nova. Yeah, go Nova. <laughs> so what do you think you want to do long term? Like, obviously, again, we've talked about corporate and that you you love the transactional work. Do you have kind of a vision for what, what the future looks like in terms of it sounds like you're interested maybe in big law? But you also do a lot of writing and media. So is that something you hope to mix? Do you hope to, like, have you thought about it? I know it's a lot to think about early on, but. Yeah, I think right now I'm just going the big law route. And I would love writing and doing media appearances as much as my firm would allow me to. I know that a lot of people, a lot of big lawyers like to publish in tax notes. So that's something I would still continue, that I would still like to continue to be able to do um, once I do do the big law route. 
Right. And so your second year or your first year? Uh, I'm the second year. Okay. I was trying to sort out from the uh, internship. So what do you think you're, oh, right, you would know, I guess, at this point, what are you focusing on next year? Are you taking a lot of tax classes? Are you thinking about an LLM full-time at some point or? Yeah, I'm lucky to go to Georgetown where we allow our JDs to take as many tax classes as they want to. So right now I'm taking three tax classes. Next semester, I'm going to be taking partnership and corporate income tax. So yeah, I'm just trying to take as many tax classes as possible so I don't have to do a tax LOM. Mm-hmm. The partnership tax, I'm going to warn you if you ever listen to my show, that is my Achilles heel. So good luck with that. I know some people love it. Tony Needy loves it. But man, it is one of those things. I think in law, when you, you mentioned that you were uh, drawn to corporate and to transactional, I think when you start certain kind of, like when you start going down the path, you kind of gravitate toward things that you love. So I started out with estate tax and then moved towards the international side, really loved that. And then kind of what that meant for compliance and and controversy work, which controversy kind of became something that I did a lot more than I thought I would because I started off in the planning world. When you're taking courses outside of corporate, like did you choose partnership law because you thought that it was something that you needed? Because sometimes we do that. I know in tax, like you feel like you have to take this course or is it something you're excited about because it dovetails with corporate or did you have it just fit your schedule, which is totally an okay you know, answer. <laughs> no, uh, one of the most interesting parts to me about tax is how pass-through businesses are tax. So I'm very much looking forward to being able to take partnership tax and really dive into that. So yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, And again, congratulations on our first ever student writing competition. So that's pretty cool. If people wanted to find you and you wanted to be found either on social media or the web, where would you send them? Yeah, my Twitter account's the best way to reach me at tmix113. Awesome. And I'll be sure to put that into the show notes so that people can find you. Thanks again. This was terrific. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is really fun. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.